0: She had charm and wit that enlivened the most informal or highly formal occasions. She believed in the youth and in the future. Anyone who knew her couldn't think of her without smiling.
1: Welcome to Voices of Sika Kwan. I'm Hannah Flohr. On today's episode, we'll be listening to a conversation about Amy Hallingstad. This is pulled from the Petersburg Public Library's Listening Project. Amy Hallingstad was a civil rights activist, and she spent most of her life in Petersburg. She fought tirelessly for multiple causes, such as desegregating schools and the formation of unions in local canneries, and she was very active not only in Petersburg, but throughout Southeast Alaska. She reached out to friends and family and anyone she knew to speak up for better health care, for voting rights, and against laws and regulations that prohibited indigenous people from participating in their own culture. She was born on June 28th in 1901, and she passed away April 8th, 1971. Amy was Sagway D, Split Killer Whale, and Eagle. This conversation is between Jonas Halligstad Colin Lyons, Skip Hallingstad, and Brenda Louise, with Jessica Iremia. Jonas Hallingstad was Amy's second oldest son, and also Sagoidi, split-killer whale, and eagle. Skip Hallingstad and Colin Lyons are Amy's grandsons. Skip is Daktenton, sea pigeon, and raven, and his slinket name is Duk-Tuk. Colin is seal clan and raven moiety. Brenda Louise is a gunna and raven and has been lifelong friends with the Hallingstads. Jessica Iremia was the program coordinator at the Petersburg Public Library during the time of the recording. She is the first to speak here.
2: Jonas, would you like to introduce yourself?
3: Your name and- My name is Jonas Honigsted, Amy Honigsted's son.
4: I'm Colin Lyons. Amy's daughter's son, Gertrude, my mother.
3: Well, she was in uh, politics Uh, in Maine. She was Tlingit Indian, married a Norwegian. Do
2: you know what clan she was?
4: She's
3: Eagle. Eagle.
4: Eagle clan, killer whale house, and seal. Clan. Saakwadee, seal, and, e, and Nut was a killer whale, and Eagle was Eagle, I don't know how to say that one in clinket.
2: Do you know her clinket name?
4: I don't.
3: I know it, but it, uh, if you don't pronounce it right, it's not right. <laughs>
2: <laughs> where where was your mom born?
3: Haines. She was born in Ames. her mother brought her down, her and her two other brothers. They moved to Cake, and then from Cake, they moved to Petersburg. In about maybe 19, the late 1920s. Married my dad. Casper was, my brother Casper was born in 1929, and uh, my grandmother had a store down Singley Alleyway there, and then, well, before that, when they come to Petersburg, they moved back to Cake. And then come back to Petersburg. That's what it was then.
2: Why did your Why did they move from Cape to Petersburg?
3: Oh, better living, I guess. Cape, you know, it's the, in them days it was much of a little Indian village, and uh, it started. She was a midwife for Doctor Pryor, my grandmother. On my mother's side, delivered a lot of babies here. In Petersburg? And yeah, yeah. And when he left, he, he owned a lot of property uptown. He gave it to my grandmother. And she got tired of it, and so she took my mom and her two sons back to Cake. And then later on, they moved over here to Petersburg, and that's where she went with my dad. She got involved with politics uh, when she was a young girl. And uh, like I say, Brenda's got all the material there. All the governors, senators, and congressmen, whatever. She was a leader of her people, see. In them days, uh, they wouldn't let Indians in any place, like the elk, moose, or whatever. And uh,
2: Even here in Petersburg, like when you walked down the street, was there, um, how was it different? Do you remember how it was different? Um, than it is
3: today, I mean? Well, there was a lot of discrimination, and there's still a lot here. But when our day it was out in the open. Yeah. And she was fighting that, and she fought the traps, and, and uh, the schools. And
4: she helped get that, that fish traps abolished. And by prejudice, them, even though all the restaurants and the theaters segregated them when in the theater they had a certain section that they could sit in and, and the little restaurants in town wondering to allow them in there and so she pickled them one time here at petersburg yeah So when she started really going to work on them
2: do you remember when that was mm, I don't know.
4: she started doing that oh
3: 30, so. It was. Uh, well, she was doing that when I was uh, four or five years old. So she was. I'm not quite sure when it all started, but they had to work their way up. You know, they couldn't vote. Told and. Uh, was the late 40s or something like that, or even longer than that. can't remember. It wasn't too long ago that it was the Indian vote. And they had their own school out the road here. She fought for, to get them in the public school up here, and in 1929, I think, they finally made it.
4: You know how she made
2: that happen? No, I don't. Because
4: as a native too you still paid school tax so she won the right for the natives to attend the school they're paying tax on it too that's how she did that
2: so natives are paying taxes the same as every
3: other citizen yeah. in yeah, our paid city, the
2: city, but some of them some to kids school. were some Kids were
3: going to one school, yeah. and Native kids were going to another. I mean, school. it was segregated. Yeah. it uh, was like going to say? Uh, territorial tax and and uh, federal tax we had to pay, starting at sixteen. Jonas, did you go to a segregated school? No, no, I'm not. Going. My brother just made it. I could see in nineteen twenty, he was born in twenty nine, so he got to go. But they did have uh, three or four native boys from Cake that finally got to go to the school, and they, and they won all Alaska championship basketball with them four native boys on the team. First one, nineteen twenty nine.
0: We were visiting a little bit before you got here, and, the, and Jonas was talking about how um, A&B was established in Petersburg in 1916, hence we have Camp 16, <clears throat> and ANS was shortly after that, and um, one of the things that I'd heard was that um, Amy had been holding the A&B and ANS in her house. That was the oh. first camp or where they had their camp meetings. Um, but Jonas had talked a little bit about, you know, before we had Petersburg Indian Association, there was um, A and B and A and then from that came the um, Indian Organisa- Reorganization Act.
3: And and Hyde, huh? Right. And then finally PIA and worked away. way up.
2: And those we, meetings in our house,
3: or is that in the house that Skip lives today? No, 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 this is the house what? down here. The, the White, house White House down Where here. Ethel and Lopez White House behind yes. it. Okay. Yeah. They
4: call it the Big House. That's why, you know why it was called the Big House? No. Because every time somebody that was running for any seat, governor, whatever, when they came to town, they just tell the driver of the cab to take them to the big house, because <laughs> they wanted to meet with my grandmother. Because they knew if they won my grandmother, they'd win a native vote.
3: Uh, That's how
4: a lot of them got in the office.
3: She of them. told them that Even. she didn't uh, tell her people how to vote. She just told them who she was going to vote for. Well, she was involved in forming unions, can unions, and uh, like the traps and uh, welfare for the Indians. They didn't have it. and well stuff like that, schooling, medical.
4: Yeah, she helped set up the Mount Edgecombe School and Hospital.
3: See, uh, you see, that was a marine base during the war, and they were going to tear it all down on Edgecombe. So her and a couple of others got together, went over and, and talked the government out of it to save it. And that's how the hospital is still there in the schools. They had buildings there that they turn into government schools, you know, for up north people. It's more if the uh, L.U., that's the Baskins, and Eskimos go there. Yeah. She saved that. I don't know what else she did there. She
2: How'd your mom, <laughs> how do you think she came up um. with that idea of, like, of, gonna... of PIA? I mean, how, you know, how did, that's such a big <clears throat> And to come up with all the bylaws and.
3: Well, she wrote the bylaws, the PIA bylaws, in 48. And, but she didn't see, get to see the land claim. She died, oh, uh, well, she died in 70... I believe, or 70. Yeah. That's just, just when we got into it. So she didn't get to see much of the land claim. But she fought all of, most of her life for it. That's why the Sea Alaska Corporation building
4: in Juneau is dedicated to her, Amy Hollingston building. And that's why this building here, she's got part of the dedication to her in Throttabich. She's a strong leader. And she has ways of putting things across with humor, which caught everybody's attention all the time they listened.
3: They wouldn't, uh, some of the big wheels come down one time and wanted to hold a meeting at the Elks and Moose and she wouldn't do it, and they wouldn't hold a meeting without her. You know, how a politician is, he wants them both. Yeah. And uh, finally they settled on the pastime, old pastime cafe down there. And. Uh, Governor Groening, I think, was governor then. He got up to make a speech and he mentioned my mom. I don't know why Amy is so prejudiced about white people. She's been married to a white man for 30 years. And then when my mom got up to speak, when she got through with her speech, I to look Goonie and he said, furthermore, I wasn't married to a white man, I was married to a Norwegian. <laughs> so that's where the humor comes in. <laughs> <laughs> and he says, we can never take you, Amy.
4: Other statements she had with the one time, trying to argue with her on one point, and she said, uh, well, you remind me of a Texas Longhorn. What do you mean? She says, well, you have a point here and a point way over there, but it's all the bull you have in between I can't accept.
0: Um, what did it mean that she was um, appointed to the, De- to the Democratic National Committee by the Governor Egan?
3: Well, they got the Democratic parties like they do now, Republican parties. You know, they, they work with them, you know.
0: So she was brought on as, like, an advisor for...
3: More or less, yeah. The for, person you
4: uh, to be brought on.
3: For uh, you know, advising her people, her own people, you know, more or less. But like I say, she wouldn't tell them how to vote. It just she told them who she was going to vote for.
4: She was branded with the title of the first lady of the first people.
1: If you're just joining us, you're listening to Voices of Sika Kwan, a collaboration between the Petersburg Indigenous Awareness Committee, KFSK Community Radio, and the Petersburg Public Library. Today we're listening to an excerpt from a conversation between Jonas Hallingstad, Colin Lyons, Skip Hallingstad, Brenda Louise, and Jessica Iremia about Amy Hallingstad. The full conversation can be found on the Listening Project archive on the Petersburg Public Library website at PSG. Let's get back to the conversation.
3: Read that thing that Borbridge wrote This one? Who
0: was Mm -hmm. Borbridge?
3: Who was that? President of Sea Alaska. Oh, okay.
0: This one right here? Mm Mm-hmm. we mourn the passing of the first lady of the first people she was renowned and respected by all alaskans before she died she was she greatly affected the advancement of her people she actively supported the land claims many long years i cannot begin to acknowledge my bet my debt to her leadership and inspiration she encouraged and inspired us schooled us but always in loving and without bitterness or jealousy. She had charm and wit that enlivened the most informal or highly formal occasions. She believed in the youth and in the future. Anyone who knew her couldn't think of her without smiling.
3: John wrote telegram
0: this was a telegram and this is he and he was the president of S-
3: Sea Alaska, See, at, Alaska? The
0: time.
2: Yeah.
0: at the time. Quite a remarkable woman.
2: It's a really remarkable. Her writing is so it blows me away and it's really forethinking.
0: Oh, I was just looking at the dates, um, for Grand Camp, uh, Amy was the Alaska Native Sisterhood Grand Camp president, um, in 1945 to 1948, so that was right when the (coughs) passage of that legislation that we have Elizabeth Pradovich Day for, um, the ending of Jim Crow, and then, uh, She was a grand president from 1953
3: to 1955. Seven or eight years there. And people, her people would listen to her, but she didn't push it too much then, you know. She had
4: responses from presidents. I remember seeing letters from President Eisenhower to her when she helped. She got the Russians and Japanese out of Alaskan waters.
2: Jonas, how did your dad feel through this whole time? Your mom was so busy um, being so active and all this. What was your dad My
3: dad uh, had one of the biggest boats in town by the name of Brooklyn. And when they had grand camp conventions, he would run them to wherever it was, cake Sitka, Wrangell. Play Claw, Kloak, Craig, whatever, and both. And he didn't mind it.
2: So, your dad and your
3: mom, they were kind, of, you know, kind of a team, or, oh, or just your dad's No, he didn't, he didn't stick his beak in the room. You know. yeah. And that created quite a
4: controversy at the time, didn't it? From my understanding, as far as. Native uh, intermarrying yeah, well, with, with the uh, Norwegian culture, that was kind of a, a taboo in those days too, wasn't it? Was he, uh, yeah. Did they, did they struggle with that kind of stigma at the time?
3: Being married to a white man didn't go very good in Petersburg and those days.
4: that's why she said she wasn't married to a white man Mm -hmm. she was married to a norwegian yeah
0: (laughs) i think if amy was alive today um you know in october of uh this last october in 2011 the alaska native brotherhood um adopted a new constitution um And it had been 99 years in in waiting for this new constitution. And this new constitution that was adopted included an amendment so that there was balance with the Alaska Native sisterhood. The way it had been was that the Alaska Native Brotherhood had a constitution and the sisterhood was kind of under the wing, not really, even though they could not have done as much as they did without the support of the sisterhood, the, brother, the aunties and the grandmothers and the, and, you know, the women that supported them in, in getting the big work done. Um, so the new constitution now is a balanced constitution. It's the Alaska Native Brotherhood slash the Alaska Native Sisterhood, and, um, and it brings much more balance to the brotherhood and the sisterhood. And I think this Constitution that was just passed is set for the next 99 years or next 100 years for the future generations to come in and operate under. And I think that um, people like Elizabeth Pradovich and Amy Hollingstead and Gertrude Reliance, and if they'd worked so hard to bring civil rights to Native people that if they saw how the Brotherhood and the Sisterhood created this document that I think they would be very proud that we have, you know, continued to create a strong membership, a strong unity, and in a balanced way.
2: Do you think there's something that they would be surprised about that what's happened, what's come forth today, that maybe they didn't envision happening back around the turn of the century?
3: Well, I myself think if it wasn't for civil rights, we'd still be fighting the same way. Civil rights is what brought things up. This discrimination uh, didn't do any good. The bill they signed at 45. Not a bit of good to the Indians. Like I went to school being Indian, went through the service being Indian, got out being Indian, couldn't get into any place, hadn't that we wanted to. And uh, till civil rights come in. Which wasn't too long ago. But I still <laughs> I think we'd still be fighting Peter's if it wasn't for civil rights.
0: I think Amy would be surprised. I mean, I don't think racism is gone, no. and I don't think sexism is gone. I think that, you know, women still struggle in the workplace, but I think that she would be proud that there are. Um, many more Alaska Native people who have um, continued um, out of of high school onto trades and professions. Um, I think she'd be proud of the young women that have continued on and have law degrees and are helping tribal people today, um, much like um, the founders of the Alaska Native Brotherhood dead back in nineteen twelve. I think that would surprise her. Maybe.
2: She was a true I mean, she was a true visionary. Somebody who had a vision that was beyond the scope of what people thought could even happen. It seemed like she had kind of steps in her mind, a plan of how to get there along the way.
1: Thanks for joining us for Voices of Sikha Kwan. To listen to the full conversation from which this was excerpted, you can go to the Listening Project archive on the Petersburg Public Library website at psglib.org. Voices
0: of Sikaquan Kwan is recorded and produced on a Ani, the historical homeland of the Tlingit people, but also the current homeland and the land that holds their future. Thank you for joining us for Voices of Sitka Kwan. This show is a collaboration between the Petersburg Indigenous Awareness Committee, KFSK Community Radio, and the Petersburg Public Library. It is made possible, in part, by a grant from the Institute of Museum and Library Services and the Alaska State Libraries, Archives, and Museums. It is also made possible by the generosity of our participants, including the volunteers on our content committee. We thank them for their enthusiasm and dedication. To participate in Voices of Sitka Kwan, contact Kari Peterson at the Petersburg Public Library. Archives of Past Shows can also be found at sitkavoices.org. That's s e e t k a voices dot org, as well as on Spotify and Apple Media. Goodnight, cheers.